This is how you actually define what high performance looks like on your team. This is where you can coach your team members towards, right? Like what are the most effective, most impactful team members doing today? And how would you like that to be emulated on your team while honoring each team member's strengths and how they show up? Welcome to the Best Self-Management Podcast. I'm David Hassel. And I'm Shane Metcalf. Me and David have been working together along with our co-founder, Nazar, and all the amazing other people that are a part of 15.5 for the last seven years. And we are not the same people that we were seven years ago. One of the things we're a big stand for is like, how do we actually embrace the whole person and understand that can we support someone in thriving in their whole life? And if we do, then they're probably going to contribute more at work. Your mission is to attract the best talent, retain your high performers, and maximize everyone's potential. Welcome to the Best Self-Management Podcast. My name is Shane Metcalf, and I'm coming to you live from Colorado, where I just moved after living in the Bay Area for 14 years. And in between houses, I am being nomadic and living and working in my Sprinter van. And it's uh, quite an adventure to get all of the technical audio, Wi-Fi, video set up in my van. So welcome to what is essentially my mobile bedroom, and welcome to the Best Self-Management Podcast. And hello and welcome. I'm David Hassel. We're really excited about this episode. Really excited to have Heidi Collins and Jenny Yang, both our internal people operations team here on the podcast today. And we're going to be talking about how we actually do people and performance management internally here at 15.5. We're constantly pushing the edge about how do you actually create systems and structures that elicit high performance and high engagement. And so here we're going to be talking about how we use our own product, the things that we're developing that are in conjunction with our product. So Jenny Yang is a strategic and operational consulting leader with over 11 years of experience designing business strategies and driving organizational transformations for Fortune 500 companies, startups, and scale-ups. Currently, she is our own director of talent transformation at 15.5, a company on a mission to create highly engaged and high-performing organizations by, wait for it, helping people become their best selves. Certified as a master practitioner in NLP, aka neurolinguistic programming, Ginny is a leadership coach and facilitator who helps unlock the potential of individuals, teams, and organizations. Heidi Collins is our VP of People Ops here at 15.5. Heidi leads an award-winning people operations team here at our company. Recently receiving an award from Classdoor as best places to work by employees. It was really funny reading these bios about our own company. Um, this is great. Uh, <laughs> Heidi's mission in life, and I know this is true because I work so closely with her, is to create more human-centric workplaces with an ecosystem that celebrates diverse perspectives and backgrounds, provides high levels of vulnerability, empathy, trust, and personal responsibility clarity of expectations and purpose, holistic structures and tools, and self-reflective leaders who embrace accountability. So we're going to be diving into how do we actually make these systems come to life? Ginny and Heidi are both dynamic, powerful women who are 100% engaged in building a transformational workplace. And we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of what does that really mean? Because it's one thing to have the lofty ideals that we talk about on this show. And it's another to actually execute and bring to life some very complex systems 
and achieve performance and that humanity. So welcome to the show, Ginny and Heidi. Thanks, Shane. Thank you, Shane, for the incredible introduction. It's an honor and privilege to be here. Okay, so we know that the old school performance management system is horribly outdated. You know, that's part of why 15.5 exists is to help upgrade the business world's approach to managing and increasing performance. So I would love to know, you know, you both of you are in the weeds of actually building, designing, and running our systems to measure and manage performance. I would love for you to share with our listeners what is different about how we're doing it. Because I think we're probably on the bleeding edge where maybe not all customers, not all companies are ready for quite this approach. That's why we build software and services that kind of meet people where they're at and take them along the path. But what is different about what we're doing than the experience you had with Deloitte or other companies that you've run? So first of all, you have to have values. You have to have core values. There are companies out there that actually do not have values established, or their employees wouldn't be able to tell you what they are. So there needs to be a simple set of values that is embraced by everybody in your company, and they are infused in everything you do. You're always talking about them, okay? So first is values. Second is you need some sort of performance management or accountability structure, in place. So that means you need like job descriptions or role descriptions, some way to clarify the roles and the responsibilities and the expectations, right? You need a way to communicate that. So we have something that we call a best self kickoff, the very first essential one-on-one meeting between a manager and their direct report where they really go in the weeds on the role, the expectations, the goals, what's expected, what competencies they need to be showing up with. And they kick off the relationship making explicit agreements about what is expected, right? Then they have consistent one-on-ones. It's not something that happens maybe once a month. It gets canceled all the time. It's very consistent. Maybe it's every week or maybe every other week. Then we have, um, we have, we use our weekly check-in in in 15.5, the weekly check-in report, that is sort of like a status update on what's going on. We embrace the OKR goal setting methodology and we you know it's something we a practice that we take very seriously and it's built into our software so it's always top of mind we always know what goals we're working on and what everyone on the team is working on um, and then we have reviews we have quarterly performance reviews and just a time to sit down and really reflect on how you did it over the quarter and where you see yourself in 2 years and what can you develop What skills can you develop? What competencies can you work on? What projects can you be exposed to to get you to that place you want to go to in two years' time? So we have like the structure in place, right? So you have values, you have structure. Then you need, we kind of, uh, we've been calling these days like A-player employees and managers. You need really high-performing, high-accountable people that are highly engaged in it, they are deciding, they are showing up engaged. They are making that decision, right? So you have your values, you have your structure, you have your people. Of course, you need like efficient and streamlined tools and communicate, like just things so that people can work efficiently, right? If you don't have that, it's a, it's chaotic for people. So like Slack and email and all calendars and all that stuff. And then finally, you need ongoing training or some kind of learning or educational program that is continually educating your people and, you know, helping them develop these skills 
that then take them to the next level in their career or help them manage projects with greater efficiency or a higher level of performance. So to me, those are the ingredients. And a lot of companies out there, they will just pick and take like one or two things that they think they need to do because everyone else is doing it. Like, oh, we need to have values or we need to do reviews. And they stop there and they kind of just do it and not in a very holistic, integrated way. They do it because they think they're supposed to, but they're going through the motions. They're not really seeing how everything is building upon the previous building block. And it's all very intentional and very thoughtful with the end goal or the desired outcome of high engagement and high performance. I think we're in this kind of strange place in the evolution of HR as well, where we're moving from this worldview that HR is very compliance focused and it's a cost center. And you wouldn't want to have a big people team because then you're wasting money, right? It's all about the payroll and protecting the company and all of those things. And I think there's a lot of companies that are stuck in that paradigm and they're not quite ready to make the investment. You said we have a large, robust people team and it makes sense given all the things that we're doing to invest. And in this transition from HR being a cost center that's more compliance-based to being more of a strategic partner to the to the CEO, I feel like a lot of companies are stuck in the middle. So how would you and you and Jenny kind of make the case to business leaders about why it's so important to invest in these things from a strategic standpoint and why it's worth investing money in terms of the outcomes that are possible? The difference between 15.5 and traditional performance management is that we really honor the individual, the human, in the context of business needs. And so when we look at an individual, we fully believe that this individual has the utmost potential and they have their own unique strengths, they have their own unique talents that they bring to the table, and they can apply that to their current role at 15.5 and really help us solve business challenges and problems and aligning their strengths to their role. And so I think that is another key factor of investing in strategic people partners um, to be able to enable that type of culture, a people-first culture. So I love that. And I want to push a little bit because, of course, there are high performers and low performers. And we know that in our own experience and the lived experiences, there are some people that take the ball and run with it. And there are other people that require, that create a lot of drama, that don't get the results, that are kind of constantly enmeshed in relational friction. And so how do we reconcile everybody has genius if we uncover the unique ability of the individual, they can contribute And we need people to do the roles that they're in and produce results. I think one belief out there that I've definitely encountered is that what you are describing takes so much work and effort and people can't be bothered with that, especially people... Heidi, you mean it takes a lot of work and effort to uncover people's strengths and genius? Yes, yes. To focus on that, to have the skill to even try to tease it out or understand it. Like some people might listen to what you're saying and say, oh, Shane, you sound like a therapist. Like you have spent years studying these philosophical views or and, and you do, right? And there are other people out there that are just like so overwhelmed with their work, the workload, their life. And to me, I I really truly think they think it takes too much time and they haven't tried it and they haven't seen it work. 
They may um, not have even seen it for themselves. Yeah, they haven't seen it for themselves. No one's ever invested in them that way. And so the reason I believe it so deeply is because I am experiencing it. I am living through somebody seeing my in my potential and highlighting my strengths and seeing how it impacts the way that I feel, seeing how it elevates the deliverables that I create, having people pay attention to that. But if you haven't experienced it for yourself, it's it's a little bit difficult. Well, I think it's it's almost that learned cynicism that work isn't a place where we should be looking for joy. It isn't a place where we should lo- be looking for friendships. It isn't a place where we should be looking for personal growth. It's like, that's that's the work I do over there to make a living, and then I can actually live my life. What a heartbreaking approach to building companies and cultures that is. Right. Especially when you realize how much of your life goes into the work aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, Shane, Shane and I will often say, like, we've said this before, Shane, and it's kind of like a secret sometimes that, like, we want to normalize the experience of love at work. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, like, love should be part of work. And I have, uh, Shane is my manager also. It's kind of interesting. I'm Jenny's manager. Shane is my manager. David is my manager. Yeah. And, hey. um, <laughs> I have actually said to Shane, I love you. You know, and I bet I, I've said that to multiple coworkers. He just went black on the screen. <laughs> I couldn't handle it. I can't handle it. Any, I, it's too much love. No, I think uh, camera overheated or something. So yeah. I'm going to go on my computer. But it just like, you know, like when I go home and we talk about work at the dinner table, it's so nice to talk about positive things like that because then it trickles down to everyone in your world. And like my kids talk about this stuff with their friends and their teachers. Well, and it really is. It's like, I love each one of you. Like, Ginny, I love you. Heidi, I love you. (laughs) David, I tell you, I love you. Like, almost every time we talk. It's like, we talk all this intense business strategy and how do we accelerate our growth and we need to pivot the product here and holy shit, how are we going to get out of this bind? I love you so much, David. Have a good night. (laughs) All my love to Connor. And it does. It makes it, you know, we've been doing this for freaking ever now, eight, nine years. And geez, what a better way to go through our relationships is yeah. with more love. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody like doesn't want to say that. It's like, oh, I don't want to be like, you know, sued for loving my coworkers. <laughs> um, okay, so a hypothetical, you're done with your career at 15.5. And maybe this is a question for all of us, actually. And you're starting a new company or you're moving to a new company and you're going to lead people and culture. What's the one process that you take from 15.5? You can only take one. So what's the one thing that you take to create more joy of being, to unlock potential? For me, I think that having the clarity of performance agreements is a real is something that I'm still learning, but Heidi, you've been such a champion of this and used to call them, we used to call them job descriptions, but now it's performance agreements. But it's actually creating an agreement around what high performance looks like in that role and having both parties sign up for that rather than this misguided expectation that I have as a manager that Heidi, you're going to do all these things, but that's actually, we haven't talked about that and agreed on that. Because one of the things that I'm really learning is that clarity 
is such an important thing at all levels. You know, you need clarity of company strategy at the leadership team level and then communicated throughout again and again and again. And it goes for the same thing of what am I actually supposed to do in this company? And can you create clarity of purpose for every single person? And that's something that I think it's an endless mountain that we're climbing, but I'm really seeing the results and I feel the impact on my own life my own energy when I'm not clear about what I'm supposed to be doing and what winning looks like and what success in my role actually is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's that role clarity piece that creates psychological safety for you, Shane, and the individual, you know, as if there are very explicit agreements about, you know, what's expected of, of your particular role. And I did want to tie that back to something that we created earlier this year at 15.5 of having clear behaviors around our values. And so we created core competencies, we call them universal competencies, that are applicable to everyone at 15.5 in how we would like people to behave at 15.5 in alignment with our values. And so, you know, as an example, one of our values is be and become your best self. And the competencies there include cultivating self-awareness, radical strengths alignment, cultivating a growth mindset. And so it gives laser clarity to our team members about how to actually embody, be, and become your best self as a value. The competencies tied to values is something I think every single company should be doing. Because it really, it takes the value out of this kind of amorphous thing that, okay, I, I have a sense of how I should behave with this value but it's not actually explicit. And I just love that now we actually say, here, here's the path to walk to embody this value. Yeah, I, I can give like a really quick example. We're building into our product right now a competencies assessment. So you can rate your peers or your direct report or your manager on how they're showing up with that competency. So if we take the one around cultivating self-awareness, the best self, it's linked to our be and become your best self value. If I'm filling out a competency assessment and I'm, I am going to be assessing or evaluating my direct report on um, the value of be and become your best self, and specifically the competency is around cultivating self-awareness, Okay. We have a competency matrix that has like cultivating self-awareness. What does excellent look like? How would you actually show up? What would be an example of that? What would be an example of not cultivating self-awareness? So let's say I have somebody on my team who does not like to read books or not really into um, attending our trainings around best self and just it's not interesting to them then I might rate them a two out of five. A two meaning like they rarely demonstrate that. You know, a five would be they always demonstrate it. And a five would be somebody who's like gets all excited and goes to all the trainings and then buys the book afterwards and wants to talk about it in the next meeting. That would be the opposite. And because we have so much clarity with these tools that we have created that are um, really like tied to actual examples of our work and how we behave and how we show up. They're very easy for anyone to understand. When I give that feedback to that person, I can just say like, well, you said you don't like doing any of this stuff. So 
that is why I rated you a two out of five. It doesn't mean you're a two and like you're a low performer. It just means that you are not demonstrating that as much as the company hopes that you would, or that is kind of, we're kind of requiring our people to, to, um, because we truly believe that this is one of the key ingredients to like doing excellent work. And it just makes like the process or the experience of giving someone direct feedback that might be constructive or maybe even a little critical and offensive or insulting so much easier because it's like, I'm just referring to this example and this is how you're showing up and this is how you need to show up. And it just makes it more explicit, which is what, you know, similar to role clarity, that's the thing that creates psychological safety. So we're just clarifying those agreements. Us taking a more radical stance, and this is actually something I want to lean into, and I'm inspired by uh, Vishen Lakhani of Mindvalley, and he talks about you really want to make policies that actually polarize. Some people will love them and some people will hate them. And so I'm actually leaning towards like, look, a method of self-development is non-optional here at 15.5. Like you can't work at 15.5 unless you have a method for developing and leaning into your best self. And that can look like infinite number of ways and methods, but that is a actual requirement for working here. So I have a, I have a question that's, that's uh, related. You know, obviously we're doing so much at the company level to establish the process and, you know, the competencies and the frameworks and the culture and all of that. But when it comes down to it, who do you guys, uh, Heidi and, and Jenny, believe is ultimately responsible for performance? Is it the company? Is it the manager? Is it the employee? How do you think about that? Well, my answer is the individual, the manager, and the organization. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all parties. Um, and the reason being, it's a two-way street between the individual and manager in terms of, as you mentioned, Shane, ensuring that people are truly invested in their own growth and development and that is required on the individual and then as a manager you know having the manager asking really powerful questions and acting as a coach for this person to help guide them on their journey of becoming their best self and their own growth and development. So that's a two-way street. And then of course the organization um, is responsible for creating the structure in the in the process. I would uh, totally agree with everything you said, Jenny. I ultimately believe that it comes down to the individual. And if you are the type of person that truly owns your role and you are an owner of your results, you will make it happen. Even if you have the worst manager in the world and you have a company that doesn't provide you any kind of support or structure, I believe that you can go create it for yourself, you know, and it really what it is, is like, get clear on what your role is with your manager, with your people team, be very clear, get it in writing, get clear on what your goals are. What is the organization trying to accomplish? And then what is your individual part or what is your team's part in accomplishing those goals or objectives? And then creating your, whatever your structure is to help track it all you ultimately need to do it, in my opinion. And that's the kind of employees that we seek out. We want people that aren't going to always be expecting the company or the manager to do it for them. Because especially when you're joining a startup or a scale-up, it is so imperfect. It is so messy. It's chaotic. And what it needs is helpers, not people who are going to judge 
or blame or be a victim to their circumstances. It needs people who can come in, take action, figure it out. And one of the things I think is actually really interesting is we are a performance management company and It's even been a challenge for us over the years to get a really good process to both care for people and hold really high standards of excellence and know, you know, who's performing and who's not performing. It seems like a simple thing, much harder in practice. And so I'm really excited to share with our listeners the actual process, the nuts and bolts of the system that we have developed that we're using in conjunction with our own software. So, Jenny, um, you coined the term Pinnacles, which is the program here at 15.5. Can you just talk a little bit around why that name and then also what the high-level overview, what it's designed to do? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'll first start with a little bit of context when it comes to moving from ambiguity to clarity and alignment with our team members when it comes to what do we mean by high performance? And so... This performance framework that was co-created by a handful of leaders at 15.5, it was really looking at it from the lens of how might we build a scalable, actionable performance framework that enables us to live and breathe our mission of creating highly engaged, high-performing organizations by helping people become their best selves. And how might we also at the same time prioritize our values of being and becoming your best self and cultivating relational mastery. And ultimately, the goal of this performance framework is to define the standards of extraordinary performance and how might we set goals in order to achieve that extraordinary performance. And then the last piece of it was how might we measure performance in a fair, transparent, objective way and assess extraordinary performance and high impact. So that's just to give a little bit of context as to the questions that were coming up around the criteria of performance in addition to the measurement of performance. So Pinnacles is inspired from the ethos of 15.5, from the practices of Patagonia, where, and I would love, David, for you to provide a little bit more context, given that you were the mastermind behind <laughs> 15.5. And well, I mean, what's funny is that Yvonne Chouinard was part of the mastermind. And even, I know that's not even true, David. Who was it? Doug Tompkins. Yvonne's, Doug Tompkins, uh, yeah. Yeah, friend, yeah. David was the mastermind behind how do we productize this and bring this yeah. out and expand the platform. But Doug Tompkins and Yvonne Chouinard, legendary adventurers and entrepreneurs were the mastermind around the original idea of 15.5s. And Paul Hawken, right? So the the, the three of them, yeah. Mm -hmm. One of my own personal mentors and heroes. Amazing. Mm -hmm. And so when I I visualize the ethos of 15.5 coming from a a practice that, you know, these, these Patagonia masterminds had placed together, I think of mountains. And when I think of mountains, I think of peaks. I visualize and experience the peaks and valleys And so Pinnacles is a way for us at 15.5 to realize that in order to achieve Pinnacles in our careers, it requires this level of commitment to growth and development, our own personal and professional growth and development. And when you align your core competencies and you align your natural talents, your zone of genius to 
the company and and you align your own purpose to the company, that is when you will achieve pinnacles throughout your life and, and your career. So just wanted to give you a little bit of context behind pinnacles before actually diving into what it actually entails. And Jenny, just on the metaphor of pinnacles and mountains and valleys, where does the valleys fit in? You know, because I mean, it would be awesome if we could always be on top and every every day is a peak experience and every day's, you know, we are just crushing it nonstop. But I mean, reality is that there's the yin and yang. There's the highs and there's the lows. And so I'm just curious how, if if that metaphor has carried its way into the process in mm-hmm. the mind. Absolutely. Yeah, when you think about contributing to a broader mission, there is this desired outcome, right? There's this vision, there's this mission to be accomplished by a team. And there's individual contributions that go into it. And I think oftentimes people become so focused on the outcome that they lose sight of the day-to-day process, the day-to-day journey of moving towards that outcome. And throughout that day-to-day journey, there may be trials and tribulations. There will be trials and tribulations. You know, there will be challenges. There will be obstacles to overcome. And so the piece around the valleys and the peaks is that, you know, it's it's an oscillating experience. It's not just from point A up into the right to point B, but it's more of this oscillating experience moment to moment. I want to talk directly to you listening in for just a moment. If you're enjoying these interviews, the concepts we discuss, and you're committed to equipping your managers to develop highly engaged and high-performing teams, there's some additional resources that we know can help. Access the forever free Best Self Management Certification at 155.com forward slash academy for core management skills that unfortunately are not taught in business school. Visit 155.com forward slash services to sign up for our manager accelerator program to reorient your managers around the essential skills needed to conduct effective one-on-ones, offer meaningful feedback, and coach their teams to greatness. If you want exceptional software that integrates beautifully with our education and training, visit 155.com today. Okay, cool. I like the philosophy. Let's get into the nitty gritty. What does this actually look like? Break it down. How could somebody listening take some of the philosophical orientation, but then what do they need to know to actually implement something like this? Mm -hmm. So think about performance as a Venn diagram where there's one circle that is the behaviors And so a lot of organizations will measure performance around behaviors. And at 15.5, we bring it to a higher level of competencies, which is a cluster of behavior, skills, attributes, characteristics that are required for someone in order to perform a job effectively. So there's competencies, which are the what and how you go about work, the actual job responsibilities. And then there's another circle of the Venn diagram that's about the results. And at 15.5, we're framing them as impact. So the impact that you're having, not only on your team, on 15.5, our customers, our community. And so when you put these two together, these two circles of the competencies and the impact, there in the middle are the pinnacles. 
And what we're saying is that performance is a measure of impact driven by competencies. So when it comes to the actual driving of impact and results at 15.5, there is a baseline requirement of competencies when it comes to how you are showing up in your work from the lens of values. We call them universal competencies. And then there's also how you're showing up at work in your specific role and in the context of your team. Can you share some of the universal competencies so people have a sense of of what they are and how they're related to the values? And then also like, how does, you know, because I mean, it's cool that we have these and we have our own values and then our own competencies, but the process of taking, because, you know, I think for the most part, probably everybody listening to this has core values in their company, whether they're really actually being lived or not is another thing, which I think competencies really helps, but the process of extracting competencies from core values. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite, um, well, this is an interesting question. What, what's your favorite 15-5 value right now, David? And then I'll give an example oh, of a competency. Well, I mean, we'll just go with number one. Well, actually, my favorite probably is cultivate relational mastery. So let's go with that. Okay, great. Thank you, David. And so cultivate relational mastery. David and Shane at our retreat at the beginning of 2020 shared a slew of different practices that we could move forward with in order to cultivate relational mastery. And when it was about four months after the retreat that I asked David and Shane, if you were to prioritize these practices, which ones would you prioritize? And what we came down to was these two practices that we translated into competencies. The first one is assume positive intent. And the second one is deliver truth with kindness, as Heidi alluded to. And so the purpose of us translating more specific behaviors in the form of competencies from our values was to give our team members crystal clarity about how we would like them to show up at work. And so assuming positive intent, we define as consciously choosing to assume that your fellow 15 fivers are operating to the best of their ability and they're acting with the best interest of the company and their coworkers in mind. And then I will give you a specific example where With our competencies, we get into very granular specifics about the behaviors where we outline what does extraordinary look like, what does good look like, and what does ineffective look like. So that there's no questioning of, you know, what assumed positive intent looks like. And we are coaching our team members to really strive towards extraordinary and showing up again and assuming positive intent in order to cultivate relational mastery. So Shane, to go into a little bit more detail, one of the things that I love about our competencies matrix that we have is, as Jenny explained, it has very specific examples of behaviors that would be considered acceptable and demonstrating the the value, demonstrating that competency and not. And let's say, Shane, that you and I are in a meeting and you are gossiping with me about David, somebody else at work. 
I'm actually in the Zoom chat right now. I'm telling God, David, I'm like, did you hear what Heidi did? <laughs> right? Okay. And so in our matrix, it has a very specific example. Uh, I'm sorry. This one is about delivering truth with kindness. I'm not using the assume positive intent example that Jenny was referencing, but uh, delivering truth with kindness. If you are gossiping about somebody but not talking directly to them and sharing it directly with them, you are not delivering truth with kindness, right? And because we have this actual tool, if I'm your manager, I can say, hey, Shane, let's just take a look at this. I noticed you were doing this and I just want to you know, hear your perspective on this, but it felt like you were engaging in, in gossip. And you know, I was, I was a bit concerned about that because that's not really what we're aiming for when it comes to relational mastery. And I can actually use this tool to reference it. And it's not, sometimes it makes it easier. I'm not the bad guy. This tool is, and it's telling me, it's giving me like the, the tips. Well, on it's, like, it's saying, hey, look, this is you. like what you're doing is a direct contradiction to our values. Yeah. And, and, and that's not okay. Right. And, and it's like, I want to support it. you in that. I want to help you. Yeah. But it's also really clear there's no gray zone of, of whether this is an alignment with how we behave here or not. Yeah. And one of the really cool things is this model that we've built out, the matrix, it has the competency. And then the next column is the skills that get you there. And one of the skills that needs to be developed is to be able to go direct to somebody to not gossip and talk about them behind their back, but to actually go direct. That's actually a skill that you can learn. And not everybody is born with it, but it's one of the things that we try to train people in, in the various um, trainings and workshops that we provide at 15.5. So if you haven't actually ever been trained in that skill, maybe that is your default to gossip because you don't know anything else, right? And so part of our Pinnacles program is to also train you on those skills and provide a lot of different resources and education for, for everybody, for managers, for, for the team members to learn these skills. So one of the, my questions is, how much of this are we doing through 15.5? And I, pro I should probably know much more detail about this, but like how much of this can somebody just kind of off the shelf, hey, we have our values, we're going to go build out competencies, run this whole process through 15.5. How much of that are we actually doing just in our own platform? And how much of it is built outside of the platform that we're going to then eventually build into the product? Hmm. That's a great question, Shane. We are in the process of that right now. So 15.5 in the product, we have the best self-review, which is a strength-based future forward-looking type of review, celebrating our team members' unique strengths, as well as enabling managers and team members to align on perception gaps. And we do that through the competency assessment feature in the best self-review. And so you can assess the values through our universal competencies. You can assess the team or role competencies as well. And we use a behaviorally anchored rating scale, a bars scale, where you can say, hey, I this never knew what bar scale actually meant, Jenny. <laughs> That's good. There you go. <laughs> and you can say this person is never demonstrating this competency 
all the way up to is always demonstrating this competency. So it's very explicit when it comes to being able to see what are the differences between a manager's uh, perception of how someone's showing up versus a team member and their peers and how they believe this team member is showing up. So that said, in order to have this all work in the 15.5 product requires foundational building outside of the 15.5 product. So across the past four months or so, I've been partnering with various department leaders across 15.5 to develop their team competencies or role competencies for their teams to be able to define those top five competencies and the skills that get you there and what extraordinary good and ineffective looks like to best prepare for our next best self-review cycle, which is coming up um, next week. And it can be perceived as a heavy lift uh, when it comes to building competencies. However, I believe I've been coming from the stance that this is how you actually define what high performance looks like on your team. This is where you can coach your team members towards, right? Like what are the most effective, most impactful team members doing today? And how would you like that to be emulated on your team while honoring each team member's strengths and how they show up? So I would say that ultimately it is a combination of 50-50 when it comes to the actual building of the competencies and then being able to leverage them in the 15.5 product. Are we doing services around this yet? Because I mean, it does seem like there's a there's some complexity. I think core values are kind of one of those things that are table stakes, as I said, and most companies have core values, but I think that competencies is this next wave that's kind of rolling through the business world of like, oh, right, of course, there are specific skills and competencies we need to develop. I would imagine very few companies actually have this. You know, Ginny, when you were running customer success, were you seeing many companies actually building out their competencies? It wasn't part of the conversation at the time when I was heading up the team, but we are seeing it more and more as we're having conversations with prospective customers and our current customers. And it really depends on the size of the organization as well. So, you know, for a company that's a scale up like us, it is a a common conversation to have, you know, as we continue to partner with enterprise organizations as well. This is definitely a topic at hand. How do you think about the balance between, you know, obviously for any given core value, we might come up with, you know, a dozen or, or half a dozen competencies that might fit into that. So how do you figure out like what's the right number of competencies or what did you decide and how did you kind of balance, you know, breadth versus depth in that regard? Mm-hmm. Great question. I asked a lot of stakeholders in the industry who own uh, performance or talent, learning and development, and asked them what their suggested volume of competencies was. And I remember talking to uh, the head of talent at John Deere at a conference, and, and she was saying, no more than 10. No more than 10. Because the piece with competencies is that what a company needs from their team members will evolve over time. In terms of what skills are needed, um, and Josh Barrison men- mentions upskilling our workforce. It evolves, you know, year over year in terms of what's happening in the market and what what's required of our team members. So it is um, competencies do require maintenance. It's not just a one and done type of project for an organization. And so 
the recommendation is to keep it under 10 for any given set. So, you know, we have at 15.5, nine universal competencies that are embodiments of our values. And then each team has five maximum for theirs as well. Got it. That's great. And so, mm-hmm. and just, just to reference, that's nine competencies based on four core values. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, so there's the universal competencies. And so these are what all 15 fivers are expected. You know, we, are, we want all 15 fivers to be good at having clearing conversations at, uh, you know, assuming positive intent, for example. But then there's team-specific competencies, right? Because, I mean, the competencies as an engineer are very different than as a sales operator. So how do you then, do you work with the individual departments to come up with those competencies? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And so what we've done here at 15.5 is provided a, a standard template in terms of how to research competencies for your own team. And, you know, a lot of our department leaders have years of experience in their field. So they know what drives high performance and in their specific team or role. And then there's a, you know, a handful of industry resources to rely upon. So there is that research phase going into the actual development. And I I recommended that our department leaders also do a bit of human centered design around this and ask their team members of what, you know, they consider to drive top performance and high performance on their team. So that once the competencies are actually rolled out on a team, that it's a bit more digestible for the team members. So can you just walk us through a little bit of like, okay, so we, we start with our values, we create competencies out of those values. And I would imagine there are competencies that don't always live within values. You know, that if a company doesn't have a core value, that's connected to a competency they want to develop, that's still fair game. And then what? I mean, so we're running this twice a year through our best self review. Where do we go from there? Like, what is the completion because there's all that groundwork to set this up. But then as a manager and as a, as a in individual, I'm both ranking myself and my managers giving their assessment of the competencies. What next? Mm, love it, Shane. This is so timely. We're in the process of it again with our upcoming best self review where the manager conversation with the team member is again, focused on aligning on any of those perception gaps and When that conversation happens, the output of that conversation is to start this energizing brainstorming session around what does growth look like in 2021 for me as a team member based on this conversation that I just had with my manager and thinking about, you know, if I were to focus on one to two key areas that would help me up level my capability um, and competency in my current role, what would those be? And so our desired outcome from this best self-review cycle is that it kicks off this self-development objective and goal-setting process in which each 15 fiver has one or two self-development objectives in 15 five by the end of the first week of January that outlines what they're committed to with their own growth in their role at 15.5. What if I get really low marks? Like what if it's obvious that I'm, I'm not actually competent on the competencies? And at what point does that then lead to a performance nudge? What point does that lead to actually coaching somebody out of the organization because... They're just not actually 
behaving in the way that we want them to behave and how much leeway do we give them? How much, you know, what's that look like? Yeah, so I can take this one. First off, we definitely want to make sure that if something is so problematic that somebody is not demonstrating any of the required competencies on an ongoing basis, that shouldn't come up in the best self review. That should be coming up more in real time, right? And so there are many other places in our product where you're able to bring these to the surface. So we have the one-on-one feature, which is the feature to that houses our one-on-one meeting agendas. And so if I had something to bring up with one of my direct reports about a competency, that is definitely a place where I would introduce that idea and invite a conversation with somebody on my team, you know, and, and they could see it in the one-on-one agenda then be prepared to, that we're going to talk about that. Another place is we do the weekly check-in, which is a very lightweight report that I, as the direct report, fill out every Friday afternoon. It takes me 15 minutes, and then my manager spends five minutes reviewing it. And that's another place where if my manager wanted to let me know something about a competency that was perhaps uh, not quite hitting the mark, they could add a comment to my 15.5 report. There's a little section at the bottom that says help Heidi grow, and they could give some feedback there. So that's another place. So we always encourage our managers and team members to be giving feedback continuously in real time and to not hold it in and save it up for the best self-review. Right. I mean, I think this really does emphasize the vital role that continuous performance management actually plays in in the broader picture of elevating performance inside of a company. Because it's like, you know, once a quarter or even twice a year doing a competencies assessment, I'm going to get some measurements, but I don't want to wait five months to actually start coaching somebody and developing a new behavior. Right. And one other thing that I think is important to mention, we're taking a few steps back, but we also have something that a practice that we refer to as the best self kickoff meeting. And we've actually just recently launched this in our uh, software as well. And this is the critical first meeting that you have with your direct report to set the relationship up for success. And in this best self kickoff, it's a series of questions. Uh, Realistically, it probably takes two hours to get through the depth that is required of the questions that are asked during the best self kickoff. But one of the things that's covered is role clarity. And a big part of role clarity is going over your role and performance agreement. That's what we call job descriptions here at 15.5. So going over that in detail, including covering these competencies. So we have obviously the universal competencies that are required of everyone at 15.5 and then the role or team specific ones. And this is the first opportunity. Well, it's the first time to discuss it live, but also I want to I take even more steps back that we bake it into the interview process as well. I almost think of the best self kickoff is like we do that during the interview as well. They're almost the same thing, but one is like during the interview process and one is a repeat 
to make sure that person is crystal clear on what is expected of them. So that when it comes time to give that feedback about maybe they're not showing up the way that is expected, it's not an awkward, difficult, really uncomfortable conversation because all of the context has already been set. But the expectation should be clear. So when you talk about it, you get to say, remember we talked about this in the best self kickoff, or we went over these competencies and now I'm seeing this showing up this way. And this is how I think you might tweak some things or adjust some things in order to be more effective. And it makes that conversation so much easier and removes like bias and people feeling like their manager's picking on them because everything's just clear from the beginning. Um, you know, ounce of preventions or the pound of cure. And I think that mm-hmm. generally performance management has been heavy on the pound of cure versus oh, yeah. the like, hey, let's actually lay the foundation work and set people up for success, create clear expectations. And I mean, I know we're still playing a little bit of catch up on that as well internally. But, you know, it's it's cool seeing all of these pieces fit into place of this really is how you actually stack the odds of hiring great people, everybody being on the same page of what success looks like, and then actually executing together and being able to coach people along the actual desired behaviors versus just they kind of being up to every individual manager. What does it really mean to actually live this value? Yeah, I would say in my experience, just like I'm pretty sure I said this in the last episode, that I'm always shocked at the lack of resources and formal training that's provided to managers. In the same way, I'm always shocked at how far companies can get in their maturity, like their life cycle, and not have the structure built out. And I will say it's not rocket science. It's a very simple package of like tools and practices and a philosophy, but it it takes a lot of time. It takes intention. It takes having a dedicated, like we have Jenny, our director of talent transformation. Uh, You know, it took us two years to get to where we are from having nothing to like where we are today. And Jenny just started in this role in what, March of this year, Jenny? Yeah, beginning of April. Yeah. So we started laying the foundation out, but it does take time, but it absolutely pays off. Like it's everything to me. If you want high performance and you want high engagement in your organization, it's a simple framework, but it takes a lot of time and effort and energy and like everyone being aligned that this is important. And the ROI on that investment, it will surprise you. It will absolutely pay off. That's great. What else have we not covered for somebody who's like, oh, you know, they've listened to this, like, oh my God, we need something like this. What do you recommend? Where do you recommend people go to maybe do more research and to get started? You know, is there anything else we didn't cover that you think we should share that would help somebody on that path? There were a couple of things I did want to add to Pinnacles. Our conversation thus far has been highlighting the competency aspect of Pinnacles. And I wanted to also bring to our awareness around the impact side, Mm. um, which is ultimately the output of, of competencies is the impact and the results. So there is an element of aligning at an organizational level and department level around what are the key performance metrics or the key project or task results that your 
team or each individual on the team is responsible for for achieving. Um, so getting clarity around what those performance metrics, task or project results, and a key element to ensuring that this is a part of a performance framework is translating those performance metrics, task or project results into objectives. And so within the 15.5 product, we have objectives and key results, OKRs. And where I am advising us to go at 15.5, and we have a lot of OKR excellence momentum, is that we incorporate our team's performance metrics tasks and project results as our North Stars and and objectives and key results um, in the new year. So I wanted to highlight that aspect is, is that sort of how it all ties together. And then layering in another aspect of our best self-management philosophy is um, we highly value each unique individual and the strengths that they bring to the table. So there's an, an element of helping our team members discover their best self from the lens of their own strengths, from the lens of their passions, their values, their purpose, and how might we, over time, align their own personal strengths, values, passions, and purpose with their role and the company. And so I truly believe this is something unique to the market when it comes to us embodying and embracing the unique potential of every single team member here at 15.5 and, you know, at our customer organizations as well. In terms of resources, I would say that Josh Barrison actually has a, a performance process that I always go back to. And, you know, he highlights this performance process, which is a combination of, you know, OKR setting and, you know, real-time conversations, real-time feedback, um, going into performance reviews, and then um, having periodic compensation reviews. So I do I do recommend Josh Barrison's blog and his resources. Um, he also has his academy as well. What about you, Heidi? What resources do you recommend? There are a few resources that we've leveraged in building out some of our internal practices or even philosophy. I would say that a lot that was put out by the conscious leadership group. We've leveraged a lot of the behaviors and the idea of... These are more related to our values, I think. And when we're, we're talking about cultivating relational mastery, for example, and understanding when you are above or below the line, when your ego might be you know, getting the best of you. And so we've leveraged a lot of their content and it's inspired us in many ways. And then for me personally, I really love Cy Wakeman and reality-based leadership. It's, it's, it's actually a, a similar flavor to Conscious Leadership Group, but really helping um, people understand. I think the most important thing that I never got anywhere else I worked until I started really exploring it myself and then coming to 15.5 was understanding the behaviors and mindsets that get in the way. I think so many of us go through our whole careers stuck or not embracing self-reflection as much as it is needed in order to be the best version of yourself, to do the best work of your life. That requires an incredible amount of 
self-reflection, comfort with uncomfortable truths about yourself, comfort with awkwardness. And so I really love and embrace any kind of resources that um, encourage that, you know, and and that like help you cultivate that mindset because I think it's counter to so much that so many of us have, have learned in our lives, especially in Western society, that we need to be tough and we need to know everything. And we don't, we're human beings. We can never know everything. We can't be strong all the time. There are always valleys and we need to be real with each other and we need to be able to self-reflect in order to grow. And that is also philosophically, if a company can't Build that into their values, everything's going to take so much longer. You know, it's just like things are going to be dysfunctional and employees are going to um, struggle with the engagement part. That's something I really love and appreciate about 15.5. And I think that our academy, our best self academy, so much of the content that Jeff Smith and his team are putting out are all about developing this mindset that then helps you engage in these practices that we've been talking about in a really yes. effective uh, way. Yeah. And then our services group coming into oh, companies yeah. and delivering that, you know, on a one-off basis. Yeah. I mean, I think it's why, you know, we have to change hearts and minds. We can't just provide tools to the world. We need to actually, well, we need to build tools that change people's hearts and minds. And then we also need the education and the context setting for the mindset shifts to understand how to best utilize the tools. Yeah. And Heidi and I like to refer to it as an ecosystem, right? It's not one thing or the other. And, you know, I I would say um, John Foster, head of people at TrueCar, this metaphor that he shared with me about having both the cart and the horse. When you think of the cart, that's, you know, the 15.5 technology platform, it's the software. And then the horse is, you know, the processes, the training, you know, the structures, um, policies in order to, you know, all work together as, as this thriving ecosystem. And I would say that it requires a lot of change management at an organization. You know, it's, it requires a lot of shift. It requires work. At the end of the day, at 15.5, from my perspective, it's, it's a commitment to our people and ensuring that they do have the best work experience of their lives here at 15.5 and beyond. And, and, you know, I hope that's an experience we can emulate for our customer organizations as well. Jenny, Heidi, thank you so much. Thanks, Shane. It was great to uh, join you. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, David. Thank you to our producer, Counterweight Creative, to our executive producer, David Misney, and guest coordinators, Sydney Lee and Suzanne Haight. One of the easiest things you can do to help us spread the message of being and becoming your best self at work is to write a review on Apple Podcasts or just share this episode's link on your favorite social media channel. If you have any questions or comments, please email me and Shane at podcast at 15.5.com. We'd love to hear from you. And finally, thank you. Thank you.